0: So I guess I'll start with a little little joke and it will only be funny to me. No, that's very negative. Let's try that again. And you'll like it. Is parenting basically just informing people of like how long they have left in their current activity? Is that, That's the majority of what parenting is? You guys have 5 minutes. We're going to leave in 2 minutes. Screens are off in four minutes. Guys, brush your teeth. I want everyone in bed in 15 minutes. How long? Oh, we got about three more hours. We just started this trip. That's a lot of what parenting is. And then telling people whether or not it's warm enough tomorrow to wear shorts. You're going to need a jacket, buddy. Trust me on this later on. I told you you would need a jacket. All right. If you have a Bible... I'm going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. I have roughly a 16-point sermon, which is exactly what they told us to do in seminary. Not. Do people still say not, Melissa? That's the real nice shirt you're wearing, Not. 1 Corinthians 15, listen to the word of the Lord. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. I wish there was more detail about that event in the Bible. That's the only information we have about Jesus showing up to 500 people at one time. It's like somebody could have written that down with a little bit more of something, something, but any hoosel. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles, and last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I'm the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not, even worth, I'm not even going to read the next part. Let's skip ahead to where he's done talking bad about himself. Let's see. Get to the part where we're really going to get into it here. All right. Let me set some context. Some people in Corinth are teaching that there's no future event called the general resurrection of all the dead. They're saying, no, 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 one day is not going to come when all of a sudden the dead, the ground shakes, and the bodies reassemble, and the ocean gives up her dead, and the graves open, and the saints take on flesh again and stand on planet. That's not, that's not our hope. That's not our gospel. I don't know if you're aware of this. A Hellenistic mindset says to be in the body is to be in slavery and to be free from the body is to be in, quote, heaven. But the biblical view is not that heaven is up up there somewhere without bodies and earth is down here. The biblical view is that heaven and earth are made to overlap perfectly, and in the beginning they did. That the separation of heaven and earth is not a separation that is meant to be. And that in Jesus, heaven and earth are being reunited again. And Paul's saying, Jesus is raised, and one day, heaven and earth will be fully reunited, and we will be in heaven on earth. In our bodies. And that's his gospel. And so people in Corinth are going, no, that's not gospel. Gospel would be, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of this rotten meat sack of sin and I'm going I'm to fly away. Oh, glory. You're going to be a train to come and going to pick me up, take me out of here. Y'all can stay here and deal with these weeds and taxes because I'm going home. Paul says, slap yourself. You need to get saved in your brain. The goal's not escape. The goal is get back to the original intention of God, heaven and earth combined. And it's going to happen, he says, one day. The ground will shake. And the graves will give up their dead. And I don't know how God will do this. But we'll get new bodies. And Paul says Jesus is the template. Adam was a template. And his sin affected everyone in terms of death and sin. Jesus is the last Adam. And he's now the template, not of what, how it got this way, but where it's going next. He's the next stage in human evolution. Yeah, you can't use that word in church anymore. But C.S. Lewis said that in like the 50s, so anyway. Be mad at him. But that's exactly what it is. You look at Jesus and you go, that's where it's all going. Even though he was raised in the past, it guarantees my resurrection in the future. And my vision of the future is what informs how I live in the present. Paul says, if you're going to take away his resurrection back there, then you're going to take away my hope for the future. And if you take away my hope for the future, you're going to mess everything up about how I'm living in the present. There you go. I summarized the whole chapter. So I'll give you some details. Let me just read some stuff here. Tell me this, since we preached Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there's not going to be a resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we said God raised Christ from the grave. That can't be true if there's no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still in your sins. In that case... All who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, see, he wrote that right there. It's in the margins. Jacob, you're allowed to smile. Thank you. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're more to be pitied than anyone in the world. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so I'm going to draw out eight statements from this. Number one, if there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't raised. Number two, if there's no resurrection of Christ, then our preaching is in vain. Number three, if Christ isn't raised, then your faith is in vain. Number four, if Christ isn't raised, we've been misrepresenting God. Number five, if Christ isn't raised, you're still in your sins. Six, if Christ isn't raised, then the dead are lost. Seven, if Christ isn't raised, then the only use of Jesus is however useful he is in this life. And after that, that's the end of that. And number eight, if Christ isn't raised, then we're to be pitied. We Christians, we followers of Jesus who have given everything are to be pitied more than anyone else on the planet. There's your outline. Ready? Should we go at them one one at a time? First one. If there's no resurrection, Christ isn't raised. I've already hit on this. For Paul, what you see in Jesus is where history's headed. If you see it in Jesus, it's where history is headed. That in Jesus you see heaven and earth being pulled back together, that just like it was at the beginning where God's will was actually done on earth, Jesus shows up and he starts to bring a little piece of heaven to earth. How did he do it? You guys know how he did it. To one person, he brings them into alignment by saying, your faith has healed you. For another person, he says, your sins are forgiven. For another person, he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to your house today. For another person, he says, if you knew who it was who was talking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. But everywhere Jesus goes, he's bringing these little pockets of alignment on earth with heaven where, where the original intention of God is breaking into history wherever you see Jesus ministering and driving back the darkness. And then ultimately... For Paul, he looks at Jesus and he goes, oh my word, this thing that we see in Jesus is growing and growing and growing and will cover the whole earth. It will not only just have little pockets of light in a world of darkness, but the light, the true light is growing and at his return, the light will fully eclipse the darkness forever. And then, strangely enough, there will not even be any more night. Now that's just fun, but there is a resurrection of the dead coming, and we know this because Christ was raised. And then he said, you know, he gives the evidence. He's like, I'm not just making up stuff. I'm not saying I, I I hope this is true because the consequences would be good. He's saying, no, the evidence supports it. So now we have to we have to figure out the implications. Sometimes people choose what they believe based on what they the implications are they prefer. That's backwards. You hear what I'm saying? Well, I don't want to believe that because then I would have to believe that. Are you crazy? You have to believe what's true and then let the consequences be whatever they are. Number two, if Christ isn't raised, Paul says his preaching is in vain. Literally every Sermon about the goodness of Jesus and the kingdom of God becomes nothing more than good advice if Christ is not raised. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but the world doesn't need more good advice. It needs some good news. Good advice is only as good as your ability to handle applying it in your life. But good news is something that's true, whether or not you live up to it. And what we have as believers is good news that it's not our job to conquer sin and death. It's already been done for us. It's our job to believe it. And in believing it, the power of the Holy Spirit will actually activate that truth in our lives. We have a good we have good news, which is Jesus living in you, living the Christian life through you, not you having 70 more things to tack onto the list of stuff you should be figuring out how to do. This is not a self help New Testament. But if Christ isn't raised, then our preaching is little more than just moralizing. In fact, Paul goes as far as to say it's useless. Totally useless. Which is interesting. Doesn't that clarify the purpose of preaching? The purpose of preaching is not to just give people some wisdom. The purpose of preaching is to give people Jesus. Amen. It's to give people union with God so that God himself comes in to dwell. Yes. Ah. Okay. I guess I should be doing the corollaries. Christ is raised, number one, so there is a general resurrection to come. Number two, Christ is raised, and he's Lord. Therefore, our preaching is not useless. Our preaching is powerful. Paul says that God was pleased through the foolishness of this message of a rejected Messiah to save those who believe. And one thing that encourages me and has encouraged me for years is there are people who can preach the gospel better than me, but there are, there's no one who can preach a better gospel than me. And it's the gospel combined with faith, not the skilled orator combined with interest that changes a life. What we're doing here is mysterious. We're touching sacred things. Number three, if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. Oh, my word. <laughs> if Christ isn't raised, then the trust you're putting in God to forgive your sins, lead your life, be a good father to you, is, has no foundation. But if Christ is raised, then every promise of God given to all the Old Testament saints, have been taken up, placed in Jesus, fulfilled, and now plopped into your lap. That all the faithfulness of God, if Christ is raised, is for you, if you're in Him. Your faith is not only not in vain, your faith, no matter who you are, no matter how small you are, no matter how old you are in the Lord, no matter how weak you may feel, your your faith placed in Him. Him is as powerful as the faithfulness of God. I used to think when I was a baby Christian, my prayers weren't getting through the pathetic, fluorescent lit drop ceiling in the windowless office I worked in. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever been there? And finally, I had to just preach to myself. I had to start every prayer session with preaching the gospel to myself. Because if I didn't, I had no faith for anything else that I said to have gotten through that stupid drop ceiling. And one of the things that encouraged me so much was the idea that it's not the strength of my prayer, it's the strength of the God who's listening. It's not the faith, it's not the level of faith. This is why Jesus says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, then you can command the mountain to go jump in a lake, stupid mountain, and it will. Now, what's his point? It's his point. Here we go. I'm going to get some mustard seed faith. I'm just, watch here. I'm going to get it. Watch me. I'm going to do it. Did you know I gave myself a hernia praying one time? (laughs) I called Harvey Mast. I was like, i got this pain. And he goes, when did it start? Well, truthfully, I was yelling really hard in the sanctuary as I was praying. And he goes, you need to exert a little less. Him and my dad always give me hilarious advice. Dad, it hurts when I move my wrist like this. You know what he says, right? And if you go to the doctor for that, you're like, they're like, stop doing that. Anyway, that'll be $400. Good luck. I'm I'm in the wrong line of work. I should be taking people's money. I mean, giving them health. That's not nice. There's wonderful doctors. My dad's awesome too. That was all jokes, by the way. All jokes. I've had some awesome doctors. Sometimes I go in there and I waste their time. They're like, the next person's in probably in pain. I imagine they're in pain. We're having a great talk. The next person's like, okay. So number three, if Christ is raised, your faith is incredibly powerful, even if it's little mustard seed faith. Why? Because Jesus is on the throne and he's the one in union with God that you're in. And all the promises of God through all the whole Bible, they're yours. Paul says every promise that God's spoken is yes. And then we give the amen through Christ. We attach our little faith to it and it gets a big result. Guys, it really is. It really is as simple as pray, listen, believe God, obey, and get God's results. We're the ones complicating it. Number four, if Christ is not raised, we've been misrepresenting God, says Paul. But I think, I, like, let's look at that. Something, ha- I want to get on my knees for this. Something has happened in Jesus that caused Jews who have deep reverence for Saturday as the Sabbath. Like, you break the Sabbath, they kill you. Are you, are you with me? God created, he rested, we take Sabbath, here comes the Ten Commandments later, Sabbath. Are you a Jew? Well, are you circumcised? Do you avoid pig and do you honor the Sabbath? Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. Something has happened that these Jews started worshiping and gathering on Sunday. That's your Monday. That's a work day. They switched the day. How do you get Jews who are so imprinted from birth to change the day that's the holy day? Jesus is raised from the dead. Everything changes with Jesus. So when Paul says we've been misrepresenting God if Christ is not raised, what he means is literally everything I think about God changed when I embraced Jesus. I've been misrepresenting. If Jesus isn't raised, he's not Messiah. I've been saying he's Abba. I've been saying we can have intimate relationship with Abba. I've been saying we're dead to the law. I've been saying we're in and not out. I've been saying Gentiles are in. I've been saying this is a gospel for the whole nation. I mean, sorry, for all the nations, for the whole planet. I've been saying that we're no longer slaves, but we're sons. I've been saying fear is a thing of the past. I've been saying some outrageous things. And if Jesus isn't raised... I've been misrepresenting God on a grand scale to the point where I should be terrified. I've been undermining God's commands in the Bible to do it. I'm hosed. Or more like caned, probably, with sticks and rods and then stones. It's a big deal. But if Christ is raised... Then, not only has Paul not been misrepresenting God, but God is better than we could have possibly imagined. The gospel's better than we ever expected. That we have a loving, patient Abba who's presented not as the one who killed Jesus, but as the one who's willing to suffer so much, even to that extent to get Satan, sin, and death off of us to get sons and daughters back into his fellowship, back into his family, back into his arms, back into relationship. This, we've, he, Paul's not, if Christ is raised, Paul's not misrepresenting God. He's portraying the beauty of God clearly. And now we can, we can stand with Christ as the cornerstone and the capstone. I love that. He's the foundation, he's the cornerstone, and he's the capstone. He's, he's what we're living from, and he's where we're going. Love it. Hallelujah. Love it. Yes. Number five, if Christ is not raised, this one seems like it should be a big deal. You're still in your sins. Oops, you know? The Corinthians at this point are like, "Uh, I feel like you're overreacting, Paul. I just don't agree with with your eschatology. And then Paul screams at the top of his lungs. And they go, this is not a civil discourse. Okay. Well, Paul's not interested in a civil discourse. (laughs) Jesus wasn't very civil in his discourse either. That's funny to me. Like... Jesus, can't you be more Christ like? Um. <laughs> if Christ isn't raised, Paul says, you're still in your sins. Now, what does he mean? Now, and the New Living Translation takes a little too much liberty and it says you're still guilty of your sins. I'm like, guys, stop reducing the truth. Let it be what it is in Greek, in. If you're in sin, then you're in its power, in its guilt and in its consequences if Christ isn't raised you're in the power of sin you don't even have your identity do you understand what I'm saying what's your identity in Christ is it sin or righteousness Righteousness. what's your nature in Christ is it sin or righteousness? righteousness what's your destiny is it heaven or hell you know come on or we could say father you know what I mean Sometimes when we've said heaven, what we really mean is father. I'm going to heaven when I die. Are you? Let's be even more specific. What if you said, I'm going to father when I die? Bam, starting to feel a little better now, isn't it? The introverts especially, are like, it's a big party with bright lights. Is there a lot of noise? Can I, can I have a private room? The father's there. Oh, actually, I'd like to go, okay. But will it be noisy? Will anyone need to talk to me? Am I expected to smile awkwardly for three hours? That's exhausting. <laughs> but if Christ isn't raised, you're still in your sins. That's, but Christ, if Christ is raised, if Christ is raised, you, just, Garth preached it this morning. If Christ is raised, then you were raised because he died and then you died in him. That's Romans 6. Paul says, hey, didn't you know that you died to sin? And you're going, but I still feel very much alive to sin. <laughs> well, I guess if you live with reference to your feelings instead of your faith, you're going to have a hard life. One day I was pulling in, I was driving here, and and <laughs> I was like, man, Lord, I need a lot of inner healing. What a mess. And he says, who told you you need inner healing? And I was like, well, I don't know. I feel hurt and sad. And he said, uh-huh. Any, anything else you want to share with me? Yeah. But what's the truth, Tim? If Christ is raised, you died to sin in his, in, his, in his death, and you rose in the power of the Spirit in his resurrection, you ascended in his ascension, you were enthroned in his reign, and now all of your life is lived in his power. And Paul says, if you'll just stay rooted in this faith, you'll continue to bear really good fruit. That's essentially Paul's big shtick, is to take John 15 and roll with it. You know John 15, where Jesus says, if if you'll just abide in me, I'll abide in you. You put your faith in my word, and it's going to bear incredible fruit. But guess what? If you stop abiding in me, and you get back to fruit production protocols... You're going to be a real religious jerk. You'll be mean on your way to church, mad at church about the other people at church. You're going to be ticked at the kids for interrupting your prayer time. And it's never happened in my house, but you'll be annoyed when people don't let you work on your sermon. It never happens in my house. Well, you're blessed. I'm very blessed. There's a faith perspective that opens up the possibility of seeing how blessed I am. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anytime we're in grumbling, yeah. you just, it's just evident. It might not be evident to you, but it's pretty evident to everyone smelling your attitude. <laughs> well, they say the smeller is the feller. False. That was a slogan designed by people to get everyone to shut up. Just saying. That's School Bus, school bus 101. But if Christ is <laughs> raised, you are not in your sins. I feel like that's like three months of sermon, so I'll just move on. Number six, if Christ is not raised, then the dead in Christ are lost. Wow, that's a big one. We should go ahead and reopen all funeral grieving. Because hope's gone. We have, we, have, we now we... If Christ is raised, then our expectation that they're going to be raised, we might as well just say, look, we don't know. We have no clue. Is there an afterlife? Maybe. But I have no basis to have any confidence that there's a forgiving, gracious God who says, place your trust in my son. Now I just got to go back to the, the question marks of all the world religions and say, I hope Uncle Charlie was a good enough person, whatever that means. But if Christ is raised, and I know this man, he had his trust in Jesus. I know Grandpa Dave. His whole life put his faith in Jesus. Oh, man, this was really funny. I mean, Grandpa Dave's funeral years back, I don't remember how old he was when he died, 96 or something. If you're at the old folks' home, and you're like in your 90s, and they're like, Now, David, you can't have salt on those potatoes, the doctor said. just how old is your goal here? Like, if I can't have salt on my potatoes, then I don't really want to live. (laughs) Can I get an amen up in here? (laughs) No, David, put the fried chicken away. You, you. (sighs) But at his funeral, there was an Amish gentleman who was a buddy of his. And he did some good praying in Pennsylvania Dutch. And we asked him, I said, you know, we were like, hey, tell us stories about you and Grandpa Dave when you were kids. And he chuckled, and then, in, and then he said, he didn't, he didn't give us anything. Gave us no stories, just like Sue Chupp's sister gave me. Not, Where are you at, Sue? Gave me nothing. I was like, tell me some dirt on Sue. And all she had to say was, well, she done married that rebel Carl and moved <laughs> off to Delaware. And I said, Carl's a rebel? And then I thought, I guess maybe he does like ska music, and he does wear tennis shoes, but that's not my definition, really, of a rebel. Anyway, but this dude would not tell on Grandpa Dave. All he said was, I am confident that all of our exploits are under the blood. That is good, by the way. Like that, that made me say, look, some Amish people might not understand the grace of God, but this man does. But if Christ is raised, then all those who have died with their trust in him, with their lives devoted to him, no matter what sacrifices they've paid, they've, they, they've not lost a thing. Nothing is lost, nothing is wasted. It's all safe. In God's care, and we'll receive them back. I know the resurrection of the dead should probably make us be like, yes, we're going to be raised. But to me, you know what? Part, you, you know how I look at that? That is going to be the coolest family reunion in human history. The, like I'll meet family I didn't get a chance to meet, and I'll get to tell Martin Luther, "Hey, I really would have appreciated if you stopped killing my people," um, <laughs> and he'll be like, "Dude, I get it." I know. Talk about whoops, you know. I'd be like, thanks so much for understanding grace, but like maybe cool it on the murder part of the thing in the name of Jesus. Number seven, if Christ is not raised, then it's only for this life we hope in Christ. Wow, that's amazing to me. Amazing to me. Because I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that that's pretty much how they view Jesus. Jesus was a very enlightened soul. Jesus was a very insightful man. Jesus had, he was the best moral teacher that's ever lived. And I'm like, yeah, but these—but you're not saying he's Lord. And I wouldn't say he's Lord either if he wasn't raised. And that was kind of the thing he kept predicting. You're, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise. I'm going to die, I'm going to rise. Of course, the disciples were like, just kind of, blind you know how we we know the lord reveals things to people did you ever notice sometimes the lord conceals things from people yeah. something to think about but for paul this is a huge deal this is this is a massive deal and it's not the di- some people would say oh well that's the distinction between conservative theology and liberal theology i would say no it's not it's the distinction between not having a gospel at all, or having a gospel. Anyway, yeah, okay, that's enough of that. And number eight is built on this one. Paul says, "If it's only for in this life, if we if we serve Jesus, we follow his teachings, we love our enemies, we store up treasure in heaven, we sell our property, we give the proceeds in alms to the poor." We share with whoever has need. We take on incredible suffering to make sure that we extend our love to the people who need it. Mercy to the poor widows and orphans. Grace to whoever wrongs us. Paul says, if it's only for this life, if there's not a, if there's not a, kingdom coming where all these sacrifices are rewarded all the injustices are repaired everything I've had to endure is not only explained but rewarded is the word I keep wanting to use if that isn't if that day isn't going to happen Paul says not only should you not follow Jesus but you should pity those who try more than anyone else should be pitied on the planet If it's only for this life, we hope in Christ. Now, that's interesting to me, because I remember hearing uh, Pascal's wager. You have a mathematician named Blaise Pascal? Yeah, you know Blaise Pascal. I love him. And one of these days, I'll tell a good story about him that'll make you go, I love that guy, but not today. Today, I'm going to share something that'll make you go, "Uh uh-uh. Pascal was often trying to share Jesus with people who had intellectual problems with the gospel. They said, that's a foolish system of thought. Your your Christian belief system is foolish. So he was always attempting to share Jesus in an intellectually uh, uh, stimulating way. And one of the things that he's famous for is what's called Pascal's Wager. Anyone ever heard of this? Pascal's Wager. And what what he said was this, is if you're right, if there's no God, then... You've lived your life, and when you're dead, you're dead. You will cease to have consciousness. You will cease to be, and you will have no regrets about the matter. I will cease to be. I won't even, neither of us will even know you were right. But if I'm right, then you're going to regret forever and ever and ever that you didn't get in while while the getting was good. So Pascal's wager says, look, 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 if you devote yourself to the church, you devote yourself to Jesus, you make all these sacrifices, you follow his ways, you turn your life over to him, and you do the thing the best you know how. And then you die and there's no God. What have you lost? You lived a good life. You went to prayer meeting." you served at VBS, where's the harm in that? So Pascal's wager basically says, you're better off to serve Jesus if there's no God. And Paul says, are you on crack? Pascal, blaze, are you crazy? Are you freaking crazy? Do you know what I'm doing with my one life, says Paul? Do you understand that I don't have clothes half the time? You understand that I everyone hates me and everywhere I go, all I deal with is problems. Do you know that I'm persecuted and chased? Do you know there's people who tried not to eat for 40 days and drink till they killed me? Do you know what I've given up for Jesus? You know, I could be at home. I could be at home with my wife and my kids. I could, I could have, I'm smart, I could have worked, been lived a good Jewish life, minded my own business. I could have enjoyed my friends and my family. Could have bought a piece of land, built a property on it. Could have been a farmer. Could have done whatever I wanted with my one life, could have enjoyed my life. But no. Jesus encountered me on the Damascus road, said I'm going to show you how much you must what? Suffer for my name. And ever since then my life's been hard. I'm super happy about him, but man, I'm not happy about all the stuff I've had to do. And some days I did not even feel like preaching the gospel, but on those days, I do it anyway. And on top of all the struggle is the daily anxiety for the churches, says Paul. It's the same dude who says rejoice in the Lord always. But the same dude that says rejoice in the Lord always and has so much to t- say about joy, he says, if this... Thing isn't true get out now get out quick because if you're serving Jesus correctly it involves sacrifice and the only thing that makes your heart able to pay that price freely and throw your life away for love of him is the fact that it's a true gospel Nothing is wasted. Eternity will more than compensate. Paul says, I don't consider the sufferings of this present life even worth comparing to the joys, to the glories about to be revealed. But if there's no resurrection, there's no glory about to be revealed. Son, sell this joint Turn it into a cafe or a yoga workshop or something, and let's stop dealing with all the hardship. But if Christ is raised... Let me read it. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever in vain. Listen, nothing you do for the Lord, nothing you do in Christ No small thing, no big thing, no thing that worked and it was amazing. No little thing that didn't work and it failed. Nothing you do with the sincerity of your faith. It doesn't even matter if it works. It doesn't even matter if no one responds. If it came from an act of yieldedness to the authentic God who calls, nothing is wasted. Nothing is in vain. There's your sermon. Go ahead and stand. If Christ is raised, we know our resurrection is to come. If Christ is raised, our preaching is deeply, deeply purposeful and powerful. If Christ is raised, your faith is deeply powerful and meaningful. If Christ is raised, then Jesus is perfect theology. If Christ is raised, you are no longer in your sins. If Christ is raised, the dead in Christ are in paradise awaiting glorification in the body. If Christ is raised, then we hope for Christ both in this life and praise God in the next life. And if Christ is raised, we are not to be pitied more than all people, guys. If Christ is raised then the lowliest Christian or the Christian who's had to endure more suffering than you and I would ever wish to bear is more to be envied than anyone else.